Wheel of Time turns and ages coming past, leaving memories that become podcasts. Hello there, welcome to the Dragon Reread. I am Jeff Lake. I'm Alice Sullivan. And I'm Micah Sparkman. And we are rereading Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series of fantasy novels. Uh, so let's get right into it, I guess. This, this week we read chapters 11 through 15. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot <laughs> of, of exciting stuff happening. Yeah, of yeah. the Eye of the World, book one of the Wheel of Time series. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, last time they, they uh, met Moraine and Lan, and uh, were the, the villagers were informed that they were very special for some unknown reason, and that Moraine and Lan were come to, come to get them, uh, and they had to leave town. Moraine saves, uh, what's his name's father, who ran the main character, whose name I couldn't remember. Oh yeah, Moraine heals uh, Rand's father Using with her, her magic. Using her Sedai magic. Because she's an Aes Sedai yeah. witch. Uh, and this time we start with chapter 11, The Road to Terran Ferry. Uh, the most important thing that I, I realized here is that Rand's horse is named Cloud. Oh, like, it's Cloud. Like from Final Fantasy? or <laughs> oh, like a cloud in the sky. Why is he named Cloud? That's because he's name. gray. That's a stupid name for and he's horse. Fast. Like clouds. clouds are not fast. And you know what? I was going to bring this up later, but since you have already brought it up, I want to talk about some colors and the horses as well. Oh yeah. So something something interesting I noticed here. So Lan has the big black horse, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moraine has the tiny. Yeah, she has the tiny nerd. She has the tiny white <laughs> mare. Um, um, oh, I don't know. Aldeeb. <laughs> Which means... West Wind. West Wind, that's right. All right. <laughs> and then, but interestingly, Rand has a gray horse. And I think this is interesting because we see a lot of this duality that's happening throughout the book. Man versus nature, woman versus man, hmm. um, black versus white. And then you've got Rand here who's all literally shades of gray, writing shades of gray. Right, because he's, he's in between. Yeah. Either yeah. either he's morally in between or because he, or he doesn't know. Yeah, it's kind of ambiguous right now, but there's also a lot of descriptions about the gray fog happening, too. So it's like a very murky transitional time, I feel like. Mm, that's right. Okay. Well, uh, so as we, as we begin this chapter, the uh, the party, Moraine, led by Moraine and Lan, uh, and all the villagers are racing up the north road uh, away from Emmons Field. Uh, because they were sneaking through the countryside, but then they got rousted by the, the Drak car. Uh, and so now they're, since they know, the enemies know where they are, they're, they're going for it on the road. Uh, Rand is in the, they're in a long line racing through the darkness. Uh, and Rand is very worried that, uh, Egwene, that's his main concern. Egwene is not going to make it because she's just on this plow horse, mm-hmm. uh, that is Rand's father's. Bella. Bella. Yeah. But, uh, but the, the plow horse keeps up and, uh, they're almost to Watch Hill when they stop and they uh, they stop for a minute and they see Watch Hill, which is I think the farthest Rand has ever been. Or did he say he hadn't even been to Watch Hill? I think they had been to Watch Hill once and it was a big deal for them. That yeah. was like the farthest they'd ever, mm-hmm. they'd yeah. ever traveled. So it's just the next town over. Yeah. Uh, but they don't even stop there uh, because even though they're dead tired because they've been racing through the night, uh, because Moraine uses magic to make their horses stop being tired. Uh, which is pretty handy. Yeah, that's a really convenient power, but I mean, not as convenient as one might think, right? Because it turns out she doesn't yeah. actually make them less tired. They just yeah. feel less tired. So it's like speed, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. horse amphetamines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the horse magic amphetamine. So she, yeah, she makes the horses forget that they are tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, and can I bring up something about Bella real quick? Yeah, there was something interesting where. Moraine is talking about Bella, and she says, 
strange as it seems, she may be the least weary of all the horses. Right. So I'm wondering, like, does this horse also have, like, the magic blood of Eamon's field <laughs> that all these villagers have, you know? Like, the old blood of alive. I mean, who knows? Well, I wonder uh, if there's more there. Uh, as in this story, at this point, it is unexplained why that is. Okay, yeah. yeah. But for some reason, she's just a really, really healthy, hearty horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's. Uh, Rand was most worried about Bella keeping up, and Bella's keeping up better than anybody else. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so they're the they're about to the. I think the villagers really want to stop at Watch Hill because they're not used to this galloping through the darkness mm-hmm. stuff that apparently Moraine and Land do. All the time. Yeah, not a big deal to that. Uh, but the drag car buzzes them. Uh, it scares the crap out of them. And so they, they head off to the north. I was having trouble following the action here. Does the, does the drag car actually strike? Or does it just come nearby and just like frighten everyone? No, it just like flew right over them, I think. It's okay. screaming, yeah. And it's surrounded by fog. They have a patch of ragged gray, a, pa- a wall of pale gray... And then you've got the Drakkar somewhere in there. It says, The wind of the Drakkar's wings beat at Rand with a feel like the touch of slime, like chittering in the dank dimness of a nightmare. He had no time even to feel the fear of it, for Cloud exploded into the air with a scream of its own. And I was like, did the Drakkar, like, grab the horse? Oh, I see what you mean. But no, no, the horse just jumped. Yeah, Yeah. just flipped it. Flipped out, because it was... Yeah, it's very light, because it's a cloud. (laughs) It's a (laughs) cloud-like horse. Uh, And so, yeah, they head off, and one of the things Rand notices is that Egwene is really loving this. Like, everybody else is super worried, but Egwene is, like, into it. Whee! Because this is just an adventure for her, right? Yeah. 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 Well, Rand takes the attitude that, oh, she's so stupid for kind of... uh, That's the takeaway I get for for enjoying this. But I think Egwene is just sort of... I think she feels stifled by her life, and she's, she's just genuinely enjoying this adventure. Well, previously she had said that her plan was to get out of Edmund's Field anyway, you know? She's like, yeah. I'm just, uh, I, I want to become a wisdom, but I'll be a wisdom of some other town. And to, to Rand, right. that's an yeah. outlandish and crazy idea. She's like, I'm going to go to college. <laughs> He's like, what? Yeah. I've been told to do that. Uh, but Moraine uses her magic to make a fog to hide from the drag car. Uh, a thick fog. And it creeps everybody out because it doesn't act like a normal fog. Like, Rand keeps thinking, you know, this is not the right weather for fog. Which, I don't know what the right weather for fog is. I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to make that prediction. Cold and damp. Cold and damp. But yeah. it is cold, right? Yeah, but not maybe not damp. I don't know. Mm. It's cold. I think the wind is... Would mean that there wouldn't be much fog. Like oh, okay. Still air would mean fog. Yeah, so this really thick fog that, that Maureen brings in, uh, which hides them from the drag car, uh, which seems to be really useful. Uh, and and this way, in this way, they reach Terran Ferry, still in the fog. And Terran Ferry is this kind of spooky ghost town Into the in the fog. Into the evil. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, Terran Ferry is like this place that there that is... By all accounts, full of murderers and thieves. <laughs> true. And yeah, we get our last cheap shot of people of ter- about the people of Terran Ferry. Yeah, you know, I've been defending on this podcast the people of Terran Ferry, saying that it was just the Emmons Fielders being provincial, meaning they hated the second town over. Yeah. But all the people we meet in Terran Ferry are like thugs, or, or like, <laughs> like they they have to scare them off to prevent them from robbing them. Yeah, I mean, like they they they're they're being carried by this ferryman and like. Land's like, hey guys, show your weapons because this guy's like as likely to rob us as anything else. <laughs> yeah, this guy will so straight like, up rob us. So what this is really saying is, is all that prejudice is justified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least the ferryman. Yeah. Because uh, that's the only person they meet because they pass right through Fer- Terran Ferry. Uh, Lan uh, roused out the, uh, the ferryman uh, by pounding on his door and then crosses his palm with gold, which I wanted to note, how rich are Lan and Moraine? 
Yeah, where is that money coming from? Because they are throwing money around like yeah. crazy. They solve everybody's, all their problems by paying somebody more money than they've ever seen in their life before. I mean, I kind of think about it. Like, you know how the Vatican is supposed to be, like, one of the richest <laughs> institutions in the world? Yeah. And, you know, all that money gets to, like, the priests and stuff, so maybe it's along the same lines. And yeah, the White Tower, they've Tar-Valon. got... Yeah, they've yeah. got ridiculous money. And I guess you could, you could equate Tarvalon a bit with the Catholic Church. Like, they're this... It's the head se- of it, yeah. Yeah, this semi-religious, you know, yeah. organization with... Seven thousands of years of history and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and yeah. power so so either way they uh, land and Maureen have access to unlimited funds Apparently. so they bribe the ferryman to take them over at night in this mysterious fog that's cloaking everything which he doesn't want to do and so that's where they go yeah the, he doesn't want to go across because of the fog but then she's like nah yeah, gotta. And, yeah. and they, yeah, they just throw more and more money at him. But I wonder, is that really a lot of money necessarily? Yeah. Well, I, they, everybody reacts like it is. It is to them. But I mean, this is like the back country, right? So maybe, yeah. maybe money goes a long way there. Because later, know? later yeah, when they I get to, later when they get to the city, the proper city, um, Barillon. Yeah, when yeah. they get to. I was thinking, yeah, Barillon, like, Rand is talking about how shocked he is about the prices that people are paying for food and stuff. I thought part of that was because of the cold winter. Yeah. People are buying withered apples that I would feed to a horse for for a lot of money. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. So maybe it's both. I had, I had a question about that. We can wait. Well, we, we can talk about yeah, it now. We, we can, so, yeah, no. so there are two. I, I had two takes on that. Either it could be the fact that it's this this thing that's going on right now. The stores are there are bare and... And the winter's been hard. But it could also be commentary about the idea of getting uh, goods closer to the source. Like, the, in, in the farmlands, mm. you know, good apples and stuff, they grow them, and it's not a big deal, right? Yeah, I'd, I'd kind of thought that, because Rand and his father probably eat mostly stuff that they made themselves. Mm-hmm. They grow themselves. Right, and and how, how many hands does that go through going from that farm to that city? You know, yeah, how maybe many, that's it. Yeah. Right, they're paying these ridiculous prices because all those merchants and stuff that t- took them all the way up to Barillon took their cut. I, I see what you're saying, though. I was getting kind of a, like, winter is coming, sort of. Like, things are starting to get bad. Winter the... is coming? I don't understand that. That, <laughs> that reference, yeah. 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 I know that's the I first time you've ever heard that. still there. <laughs> yeah. Well, just this idea that, I mean, first thing that happens is the crops start failing and things are just going to start getting worse. It's kind of a foreshadowing going on. Yeah. No, you're, you're yeah. absolutely right. It's something that they've talked about at a couple points but also, no. like, big city prices. Yeah. So a little bit of both, maybe. Right. Uh, and Rand doesn't know the difference, because this is his first time in the, the city. But he's not there yet, because we're starting Chapter 12, Across the Terran. Mm. Uh, so everybody's standing there next to the, the ferry, waiting for the, the ferryman to show up. And again, Rand notices that everybody is miserable except Iguine. Iguine is having a good old time. Yeah, there's a quote, actually. There must be a difference in what you saw depending on whether you sought adventure or had it thrust upon you. Oh, yeah, nice. okay. Well turned. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, when the, like Micah mentioned, uh, when Land makes sure that when the ferryman and his guys show up, that all their weapons are showing. Because, yeah. like, that's the difference between having to fight these people or having them actually do their job, mm-hmm. is whether they see that everybody's got a weapon, not just land. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like they're, they're deciding in that moment, do I rob them or do yeah. I actually do the thing they paid me? <laughs> the ferryman went and got his guys and he's like, there's some people at the ferry and we're either going to rob them or we're going to do our job. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, yeah, all that all that hate for, for Terran Ferry is yeah, maybe based it's, on... Yeah, it's legit, right? Yeah. Uh, why, why is Terran Ferry so messed up? I mean, aren't they, in theory, from the same bloodline? Because 
This whole Two Rivers no. area is part no. of that, right? Remember, because he makes a note of their names. All the the Eamon's fielders are named like Alvir, Althor, uh, what's the man's name? Cawthon. And the the Terrence Ferry people are named Hightower, Old Town, that kind of thing. That's a good point. They, he does say they have strange names. Yeah, and they, they find it really weird, but I take that to mean they're not f- the blood of Manetherin. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> like the, the Two Rivers people are. So, so and also, you, they they live differently. Like they're they live in these big stone houses up on stone foundations because the river floods a lot. So, so maybe that's what different. it is. Maybe Terran Ferry is because it's a a crossing a crossroads a, a passing way. Those people aren't Two Rivers folk. They're they're outsiders who've settled in or near Two Rivers as a result of trade. Right. Yeah. Mm. But it, but I assume it's not just Emmons Field. It's the blood of Manetherin, right? I mean, it's well, it's, it's implied that because they're the blood of Manetherin. They are so stubborn and righteous. Well, that's all, but but is that all of Two Rivers or is that just Emmons Field? Uh, the other one is Watch Hill. See, there's I, several of them. I'm I think. trying to connect this to the story they told of Manetherin. And Emmons Field is is Amon, like King Amon's that's, field, and, and that's the, the battlefield, the literal place where the Manetherins fell, right? You yeah, know? I think. Yeah. And Watch Hill, I'm su- supposing here, but Watch Hill might have been like a, a fortification of Manetherin. Mm-hmm. The people who live in Watch Hill, because they they describe it briefly as a big round dome, with and the the town is up on this big kind of round hill. They also have Devon Ride to the south, which we don't hear much about, but it is Ride, yeah, yeah. They they mention it a couple points, but that's also part of the two rivers, and I guess that's that's really about it. There's Emmonsfield, uh, Watch Hill, and Devon Ride, yeah, and then Terran Ferry to the north, right. So yeah, was, so they they had after a brief standoff with the ferrymen, uh, with the ferrymen decide to. You know, not kill these people or yeah, something. Not murder them and take their gold and decide <laughs> yeah. to carry them across the river. Yeah, they they head out onto the ferry in the fog and they quickly become lost in the fog and it's kind of spooky because this this unnatural fog is is makes a gray wall all around them uh, and it's the biggest river that the village folk the Inman's fielders have ever seen in their life. Uh, it seems like actually a pretty big river. It takes them a while to. to yeah, they said they can't see from it. one end to the other, which is pretty substantial. But it's the fog. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you can't, yeah, if you couldn't, you can see across the Mississippi, right? You can see across any river. In some places river. you can't. Really? Yeah. That big? Yeah. Yeah, um, a, a substantial river can look a lot like a lake at some points. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, and uh, they, Lan has a, a subtle conversation with Rand. Rand's like, why are we acting so funny around these guys? And Lan's like, you know, there's dark friends out there, which apparently, like, there's not just monsters, but there are some people that uh, work for the dark one. That they're, I guess, spies or, or servants or something. Uh, and Land seems to imply this is a common thing. Uh, that that anybody they meet could be a dark friend. That's definitely a thing with Land. Like, he's got a, like, he's got a serious paranoia about everyone they meet. Like, yeah. he, he literally tells them at several points, don't trust anyone. They could all be dark friends. Which yeah. is a little weird because he also spends a fair amount of time making fun of all these backwater people. So, like, does he... Th- does he think that there are backwater people who are completely disconnected from the world? Or does he think that there's these random dark friends out there, like agents of darkness out to right. overtake? I think it could literally be both. Like, dark friends could be anywhere, including in these crazy backwater places, because the dark one is, his reach is far. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. What would they be doing in Iman's field? Lurking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, alternatively, it could be that Lan is paranoid because... You know, he's he's been around and he's seen a lot of terrible things. Mm-hmm. Or it could be that he's actually trying to isolate them a little bit because he doesn't mm-hmm. want them feeling safe enough to Yeah. I mean it could be Ooh, it could be point. calculated. Yeah, right? there's this constant theme of the of Rand and Matt and Perrin mistrusting Iguine sorry, uh Moraine and Lan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh because 
they're they're scary. Uh, specifically, when they get to the other side, uh, they pay off the ferryman, and then <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, a mysterious whirlpool destroys the ferry. That's so messed up, right? Yeah, like right? he did his job. And then she just dis- destroys she just his ferry. D- destroyed I, his livelihood. She she compensated him really really well for it. Yeah, but I mean like that's a one time. That's that's not the so it's like the difference between a windfall and like having like a steady business that pays for your life, right? <laughs> sure, but I mean they were dicks. <laughs> they were. I mean, I guess I mean, they weren't. I mean, he got up in the middle of the night and did his job even though he didn't want to. Because she was he offering was him a bunch it. of money, and, like they were. Eh. Yeah. No, I mean it's enough money to. You know, build another ferry and so, to support him while the ferry is being built. If you're an Uber driver and somebody like <laughs> pays like a, a a surge price, and then when they get there, they burn your car. I mean, like you still feel pretty bad about it, even though you got a lot of money, right? <laughs> I mean, if they gave me enough money to buy a new car, uh, I guess. I mean, yeah. I guess we don't know what a what a ferry runs. These days. <laughs> you're right. It's true. I don't even know how he gets is going to get back across the river. That's a great point. If he's the ferryman and he's stranded on the far side of the river especially, in the middle of the night. Especially with, since there's some traveling that happens later too. Someone else comes across the river. It's true. And yeah. Something, Unexplained. Yeah. We, well, actually it does explain it. We'll talk, uh, yeah, we'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Yeah, so they get there and Moraine destroys it with magic. Although it's a little, it's not like uh, the skies open up and she casts a big spell. She just sort of it just sort of happens, and everybody realizes she must have did it because it's so unusual. There's no whirlpools in that river anyway. Most of Maureen's magic works that way. It's not a lot of, like, light and, like, loudness. It's just stuff happens, and it's clear that it's stuff that she wanted to happen. Yeah. It's manipulating nature a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, it's specific, it seems to be elemental as well, which we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah so everybody's freaked out by that. Uh, actually, a little bit more freaked out than I thought was necessary. They're like, oh my god, she destroyed the, the fairy, but... I, are, thought, I thought it was obvious that she could do that kind of thing. She threw fireballs or something before. Yeah, she's literally summoned ball lightning, and they're like, whoa, in a whirlpool, too. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I guess maybe they're they're still getting used to it. Uh, so right there on the other side of the river, Lan has a really cozy little hideout set up for them. How convenient, right? Yeah, and they, they ask him about it, and he's like, oh, I just set these up wherever where I go. <laughs> it really made me remind me of like a doomsday prepper. You know? <laughs> Lan is a prepper, yeah. He totally is. Yeah, he's got a pretty grim backstory, so there's some there's some explanation to it. But yeah, you're totally right, and it's like it's like a really nice one too. It's like there's a, st- a fall of trees, and there's enough room for everybody to go in there and hang out. Yeah, and, it's, and there's ventilation so they can have a fire, but no one can see the fire on the outside. And there's all sorts of like food and stuff he stashed in there. It's kind of ridiculously convenient, right? It seems like he spent weeks setting this up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Like, how long would it take for him to set something like that? And how long... I can't imagine they were spending that much time traveling around two rivers, right? They went straight... Yeah, they went straight there. Moraine asked when everybody's birthday was. And then the frogs attacked. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he paid a whole bunch of people to, like, set them up at different places and then killed them. <laughs> you know, I, that sounds ridiculous, but I mean, like, at this point, you know? <laughs> yeah. I also want to mention that uh, when talking about the the fog, Moraine gets, like, a little cocky. She's talking about how not ten women in Tarvalon could have done this, like, perfect little fog. Oh, you're right, walk. she did. Yeah. She's, like, getting braggy about it. I was like, <laughs> okay, all right. Mm-hmm. So she thinks she's top ten. She's like, I said I. yeah, she's, 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 she, she at least thinks she's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, so when Rand finally gets into this cozy hidey hole... Moraine is teaching Egwene how to channel the One Power and be an Aes Sedai. Or, I guess an Aes Sedai is sort of like a job title or a certification. 
but being able to channel is the is being able to do magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she says that that not all people who channel end up being Aes I A lot of people kind of do their own thing. Become wisdoms. Yeah, yeah. become wisdoms, yeah. for example. Right. Uh, and she and tells so, a little about the, the, the one power and true source stuff. Like, that was yeah. that was interesting. And Rand freaks out a bit that this is happening because he's still holding on to his, his village crush, Egwene. Uh, and he, he still thinks Aes Sedai are, are bad. And so it upsets him that she wants to do that. But she's, Egwene is into it. She's like, heck yeah, we're leaving Emmons Field. I'm going to learn to do magic. This is great. Uh, and yeah, Moraine gives her a little talk and says, you know, you're, you're so strong in the power that you are going to learn this anyway, whether anybody taught you or not, but it's better for somebody to teach you. And this is very, uh, did you think it was a little suggestive? I, I get the feeling she's trying to manipulate her. Yeah. Yeah. Not necessarily with nefarious plans, but yeah. 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 She mentions that. You know, it's their job to find girls who can channel and send them to the White Tower to try out for the Aes Sedai. Yeah. Uh, so this is... <laughs> Maybe it's like a pyramid scheme and she's just trying to recruit oh. people. <laughs> yeah. For each recruit she gets, she gets, you know, whatever. Yeah. And once you start recruiting, it's all free money. Yeah. Uh, what I thought was interesting here is this is the first, the first real uh, exposition we get about how all this stuff works. They talk about how they're sighted in Sidar and it's like the male versus the female powers uh and she also talks about well this i this is something i don't believe we've actually been told yet but that the reason that the male channeling is such a big deal is because there's like this oil slick over the the pool of the male yeah thing that is the taint the, the, taint, the dark taint that you can't touch the the male half without touching the oil right. slick like a skim of oil on top of a on pure water and you can't get to the pure water even though it's still pure, you can't get to it without being tainted. Yeah, so only the female half is safe to use for some reason. And yeah. You don't know why. Um, and they mention, he, she mentions that the true source is, is like a river and the Aes Sedai are the water wheel. So the Aes Sedai aren't powerful in and of themselves. They just can channel this, this power. That yeah, that's why they call it channeling. Because yeah. they're not... Yeah, exactly like you say. Uh, it, it happens and they just they drive it in the way they want it to go. Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, because the water wheel doesn't change where the river goes. No, but, yeah, I mean... But maybe it gives them power or something. I don't know. Uh, It's evocative. That's fine. Uh, And right there, as Moraine is teaching Egwene the the basics of channeling, Egwene actually manages to make some magic stuff happen, like one little glimmer, a flash of light. Uh, That wasn't there before, and that's real magic. That's kind of a big deal. She's she's able to... I think Moraine says that it usually takes weeks for someone to be able to do something like that. And she does it with, you know, on her first try. Right. So she's just a natural. Mm. Uh, Maureen says it's the old blood of Manetherin. Because I guess all these <laughs> inbred hillbillies have yeah. still got the, the magic in them. Is this the point where she says, and there's another one in the two rivers who also has the power? She does. Mm-hmm. She there has, is I was, another. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I wonder, do you think that, so, so she plays this as an accidental reveal. Do you think that Moraine meant to, to 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 reveal this, or do you think it was like unintentional? She doesn't seem to say very much unintentionally. Exactly, mm-hmm. unless she's talking about like old history, and she goes into storytelling mode. Yeah, uh, but you're right. She plays it. I I, yeah, I believe it was a it was a slip, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I, I couldn't think of any reason for why it would be advantageous for her to reveal that right then. So I believe it's a slip, but I also has seen her say very few things unintentionally, especially yeah. as we discussed previously, Aes Sedai, because they can't lie or are very deliberate with their words. Yeah, right. And she's and she's 
I feel like she's being almost teasing in a lot of ways with Egwene, just trying to get her more and more interested. And she even says, you may go far, perhaps even the Amaryllan seat one day if you study hard and work hard. So she's like dangling this incredibly powerful position in front of her almost. Yeah. Keeps mm-hmm. telling her how special she is, which they call love bombing when you're trying to recruit people to be in a cult. Oh, right. Yeah. It's, it's grooming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, love bombing. Yes. Love bombing, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I said I are kind of a cult. I, I would buy that. Yeah. I... I mean, cult is. I think cults are very negative because they they pretend to have to believe things or know things about the world that they don't actually know. Mm-hmm. But the Aes Sedai really do have magic powers. That's true, you know. But I mean, as she mentioned, lots of people have magic powers, not just Aes Sedai. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> well, we'll find out more about the Aes Sedai. Don't you worry. And mm-hmm. Hogwarts slash Tarvalon. <laughs> <laughs> And before we move on to the next chapter, I want to use this opportunity to bitch about uh, something in Robert Jordan's writing style that irritated me repeatedly. So something we've talked about is that we noticed that Robert Jordan tends to rely on certain descriptors over and over and over again. And the one that was really getting to me this time was that people spend a lot of time wetting their lips. Mm -hmm. What does that indicate? I don't even know. But like, for example... When Moraine is talking to Egwene and saying, oh, you're so special and I need to be there because otherwise when you start channeling the power, it can be dangerous. It says, Egwene's eyes widened as she looked at the stone and she wet her lips repeatedly. So she like sitting there like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. So, so when, when I think of the idea of wetting lips, it's like a nervous thing. Like they're... They're nervous or about something, so their lips or their mouth is dry. Yeah. But that doesn't seem like that was what was happening with her. Yeah, and it seems like it happens constantly. And I'm trying to think, and like I don't I don't see people going around a lot wetting their lips. So no, I feel like he relies on that. I feel like Robert Jordan relies on that way too much. Yeah, he it's a one of his less stellar habits. I think he only has a few what's the word? Actions, quirks, or mm-hmm. like descriptions of, uh, of how somebody's acting. Mm-hmm. He likes to use action to, to indicate how someone's feeling, mm-hmm. but he only has a few actions in his library. Yeah. I noticed the same thing with people hitching their coat, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm not even sure what that is. Just like like pulling your coat up on your shoulders so it, it covers you more or something. Yeah, like you're, 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 you're chilled, so you put your coat around, around you tighter even though yeah. it's not actual but, cold. But you'll note that Matt hitches his coat Throughout this whole series, nonstop. <laughs> is, is it a, is it like what is it supposed to indicate nervousness? Because when I see the wetting their lips, it seems like it's either associated with nervousness or greed. Yeah, I think hitching the coat. Yeah, I think that's nervousness. I think mm. it's like seeking self assurance or, or like arming yourself up or something. Because hmm. the cloak is the most important important garment in this entire series. <laughs> yes. I learned at several Indeed. points. It's just all it's like Game of Cloaks. Yeah, <laughs> and you know Tom Marilyn knuckles his mustaches a whole lot. And or there's a lot of knuckling. There's knuckling the small of your back. Knuckling your forehead. I, yeah, yeah. A lot of people knuckle their foreheads, and I don't know what that means. It's a it's a sign of like respect. It's it no. Is, it, have it, you ever heard of like tugging your forelock? It's no. it's a thing. <laughs> it's like you a, don't talk about that in polite company, Jeff. <laughs> it's no. It's, I mean, it's like a, sometimes, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like a salute. It's something that in in more classist societies than we live in, people do to their superiors. It's kind of like a salute. Mm-hmm. You no, know, this is this is this is something that people you're just putting do. your hand up to your forehead. I don't think that I'm, and and I don't have any uh, references to back this up, but I'm fairly certain it was when I noticed that it was someone who was like exasperated or, or uh, uncomfortable. They were like knuckling their forehead when they were thinking or something. No, I don't think no? so because they talk about people doing it sullenly. I, I think there was like a 
at at um, one of the inns or something, there was a servant who he was pissed off about having to do something, and he knuckled his forehead. But okay, Maybe yeah, I think it's supposed to be a gesture of respect. Okay, right. You have to do. Maybe I I have to keep an eye out for it. Yeah, yeah. it's something you do to your social. For, to your social betters to show submission in some way. Mm-hmm. So it's like uh, a salute. Yeah, but not not like a crisp salute. It's just sort of... It's a mannerism that we don't have because we live in a society where all are equal, as we know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Except for some who are more equal than others. <laughs> right, yeah. Some pigs are more equal than others. Chapter 13. Choices. Uh, in my book, there's a map. Yes! Yeah, uh, we get a new map on mine, too. I love it. Maps. But this map doesn't actually show where they are does it i mean yeah mine didn't because they're they're in terran ferry right yeah and so it shows where they're about to go mm-hmm. but it doesn't show on mine where terran ferry is i think it's it, i know it's in the south because they're heading north to barrelon mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't even show barrelon on this map no really? it doesn't it shows oh, where right. they're going <laughs> okay well where they are south of this they're going to go north to barrelon and from there they're they're intending to head north uh, to Camelon or north uh, east, which is the way to Tarvalon. Right. No, it's straight north because Dragonmount yeah. Dragon is to the north of Camelon. Right. Uh, but that's that's kind of the region they're going to be in for the bulk of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's you're right. It's funny that <laughs> neither of the cities that they're going to be in in this section are actually on that map. But it is a map, and I see that y'all's map is again nicer than the one that. I have in my book. Yeah, this map is really good. I'm sorry about your really shitty map. <laughs> I don't know. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I'm sure. It's it's okay. I mean, so, I'm sure it does the job. <laughs> so Moraine does the magic, the anti-tiredness magic on all the people now, too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's not just horses. Uh, it works on people. But uh, they still sleep. That's what I, I was a little confused about this. If they're going to be sleeping anyway, why do the anti-tiredness magic? Because they only... They sleep briefly, right? They... So they take a little nap. Yeah, that was the idea. Is they're going to sleep for like an hour. I see. Uh, just to take the edge off or something, a power nap. Uh, it's a good point. Maybe they sleep better. Yeah. Uh, but because I just realized that they then they immediately travel for a week. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, on, on their way to Barillon. This isn't even. Yeah, this doesn't even seem to be a very important stop. It's just a plot point stop. Maybe she does that every time they stop. This is just the only time they talk about it. Oh yeah, maybe, maybe. that's it. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's constantly. De- de-tiring them. Yeah. Although I guess why not do that all the time? Why not do that instead of coffee in the morning, you know? Well, she, you can't, know? she can do it to everyone except herself. <laughs> it's true. She can't look in a mirror. Yeah. Uh, yes, and this is where we learn that Land's horse is named Mandarb. Which, which means, means Blade in the old tongue. I know. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Who names their horse Blade? Like, did he get this horse when he was eight? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to name my horse Blade, but I'm going to name it Mandar because it's Blade in another language. It makes me so cool. I mean, what would you name your horses? Horsey. <laughs> uh, Thunderstrike, I think probably. That's a pretty good name. <laughs> you pulled that out pretty quickly. I mean, thought about this previously, right? Yeah. What would you name your horse? See, I've never had these thoughts before, nor did I think that Blade was a lame name for a horse until you guys started laughing at it. It's, not, it's not lame. I mean, it's just kind of, it's a little on the nose. Yeah. Right? It's like naming your horse badass. <laughs> Murder snake killer. <laughs> but, uh, Moraine's horse is named Aldib, West Wind. A pretty reasonable horse name. Yeah, because it brings the spring rains. Apparently. Oh, does it? That's it goes it says. fast? It says yeah. if the, the wind that brings the spring rains is what it says. Oh. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Yeah, great. Uh, and it's, it's still wintertime as they're traveling north for a week to head to Barillon. 
it's wintertime everywhere, so apparently this, this unnatural winter is not just a, a local phenomenon. So that's, that's big problems, right? That's famine and starvation everywhere. Uh, but they avoid all the people that they see. They, they skirt around all the farms. Uh, they don't come into contact with anybody. Uh, in, in this chapter, I, I changed my mind about Perrin. You know how I was arguing he's not really Marion. He's not Pippin. Yeah. But him and Matt totally have these Marion Pippin uh, conversations the whole time. You know, like, oh, that's not as good as we have it in the two rivers. And, you know, that's blah, 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 blah. These kind of pseudo comedic little side conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I say pseudo comedic. They're intended to be comedic. No, I think I think Matt is the like they're, they're they kind of foil, right? I and mean, so you have Matt, who's like the 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 Joker, and then you have Perrin, who's the straight man. So I mean, like mm-hmm. they're a comedy duo. Yeah, uh, and also on this, uh, Land starts training them to fight with their weapons because apparently they they play with their weapons, uh, but Land is giving them the actual training on how to use an axe because he knows how to use an axe. Uh, they need no training on how to use bows because they're all super archers. I guess everyone in Emmons Field is. And Rand is the best archer of, of all of them. Yeah, because he can summon the flame and the void. Yeah. And, uh, and when he mentions that, Lan gives him a look, and he doesn't say why. But yeah, he recognizes it. Yeah. But that's something Lan learned from his father, the swordmaster. You mean Rand, Rand learned from his Rand. father. Rand. Yeah. Rand learned from his father, the swordmaster. Apparently. Uh, yeah. Uh, who didn't bother to teach him, like, here's this great technique that lets you be good at everything. And I learned it because I'm a swordmaster. Yeah, yeah. Right. It kind of bothers me how we abandoned Tam so fast that we didn't learn anything about his mm-hmm. backstory. We get a little bit of his fever ravings, but yeah, there's a lot of question marks there. Right, he's the only Emmons Fielder that left and came back. Yeah, and he has like this Eastern philosophy thing going on. He's got this heron blade sword. There's a lot of stuff we never mm-hmm. that's not explained. I wonder if we're going to come back to that later. Uh, yeah, yeah, it seems likely because there's a lot more to to talk about there. Uh, Egwene lets her hair down oh. because Ace Day don't wear their hair in braids because yeah. nobody does. I feel like that's a little presumptuous of her. Uh, well, I, I, this, I, I, I not necessarily that she's she's wearing her hair like an Ace Day. It's that she's not wearing her hair like an Emmons Fielder. Mm-hmm. I, I read it more as like I'm I'm abandoning my my culture, saying you know what, I'm done with Emmons Field. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't need that anymore. So I'm not going to do the I'm not going to keep with Emmons Field traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, it's not so much her saying, fuck Eamon's Field. It's her saying, he's, when Rand is asking her, he's like, what are you doing? Because he's very scandalized by this. And then all your life you've waited to wear your hair in a braid, now you're giving it up. Why? Because she doesn't braid hers? And uh, Egwene responds, Asa Day don't braid their hair. Or at least not unless they want to. Yeah. Well, So maybe she's revealing her ambitions. She's saying, yeah. I'm going to be an Aes Yeah, so I don't think it's she's rejecting Eamon's Field so much as... This is her ambition yeah. going forward. Yeah. It's kind of a teenage thing to do, right? It's, she sees a, another identity that seems pretty cool, and she's sort of trying it on. This is me now! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then they, they have a little back and forth there. They kind of have a squabble. Yeah, they yeah. do. And then, yeah. Because Rand doesn't accept the change very well. And he yeah. says, he says, uh, let's see, as soon as you reach Tarvalon, why? Light, tell me that. You're no dark friend, so... For some reason, he still thinks the Aes Sedai are in line with the Dark One, even though he has, like, hard evidence that that's not the case. He's talking about all this thing, like, oh, I'm going to fight the Dark One, and mm-hmm. I hate the Dark One, and, and then he's like, but you're a Dark Friend. I, that, it's that seems taking, him a, taking him a long time to adjust. But, you know, I guess, imagine if you spent your whole life hearing stories of how Aes Sedai are, are evil, mostly, and Dark Friends are evil, and they all work for the Dark One, and they're all kind of the same thing. And he doesn't have a good understanding of what the difference is between Aes Sedai and a Dark Friend is. Uh, and also, he's stupid. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, he's been traveling with with Moraine for a week. That for him to think that she's still a dark friend, is, or that she could be a dark friend, seems well, pretty silly. Especially to me. after she saved his father's life, which Egwene brings up. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, which like, would you that didn't win over the people of Emmons Field. That's a good point. I wouldn't say that she's been benevolent exactly, but she's definitely not been like evil to his to to his. You know, it's it's definitely way. true. Uh, I think he's maybe this is that. That stubbornness that people keep talking about in the people of Emmons Field, yeah. genetic stubbornness, uh, they're resistant to change, you know. Uh, but it's interesting you mention that because right around now, Matt suggests ditching these people and just heading off to Ilion uh, because it's far away from Tarvalon, saying, you know, screw the Trollocs, screw Moraine, let's just go somewhere else. Uh, where Moraine says, in more words than this, that she'll just kill them herself if they try and do that. Yeah, I wrote that down. Before I let the Dark One have you, I will destroy you myself. Yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> right. So that's that's the other side. That, so you can see why Matt Rand might not be uh, a big fan of Moraine either, because they're they're sort of her prisoner. You know, she'll put them on a ferry and drown them. You know. Yeah. Uh, and so she's pretty intense, and uh, he just doesn't he just doesn't trust her. He Matt and Perrin just don't trust Moraine yet, uh, but Egwene totally does. Yeah. Because uh, later on, uh, one of their st- their stopping points, Rand sneaks up on Moraine and Egwene. Moraine giving Egwene a, a lesson in magic. Uh, and that's when she starts talking about the elemental aspects of the true power, the true source, the one power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, she says that the the one power basically has five flavors. What does yeah. she call them? It's types? Uh, kind? Just the five powers. The I five think. powers, yeah, yeah. And they're earth, air, fire, water, and spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is also, I believe, the five kids in Captain Planet. Uh, which yeah, is... I mean heart, but yeah, basically. Oh, right, that's different. Uh, which is interesting. And Egwene says some something like, "Well, fire and earth are clearly the the strongest." And Moraine's like, "Nope, that's not the case. Like the other powers are good because water can wear down a stone, which seems like much worse than blowing things up and in put, terms yeah. of power. Put out any fire. So men are earth and fire, and women are water and air and yeah. wind, rather. And yeah. If you think about the things that Moraine has done up to this point. That makes a lot of sense. She's done a, a whirlpool. She's done mist. She's done like ball lightning. These are all. Well, that's fire, though. Ball lightning? Yeah. No, that's that's air. That's electricity, which is oh, sky stuff. Okay. If, if I were designing a game, <laughs> I would make that a combination of fire and air, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But on the other hand, there is the. I mean, this is a, a myth or an old story, but in the the story of the woman who, uh, it's a story Moraine tells, the woman who goes. You know, in vengeance and destroys all of the dark, dark friends, all of the dreadlords. Yeah. Does use fire, right? Yeah, she burns them so up. So it's not the it's not that fire and earth are restricted to men. It's that they men tend to who can channel tend to be stronger at fire and earth, oh, and women okay. who can channel tend to be stronger at wind and water. So Moraine can still do a little bit of fire. Yeah, uh, probably it it depends on the the person. It varies from person to person. Mm-hmm. Right, how what their what their stats are in each category. <laughs> how many uh, points they put into various yeah. elements. So, uh, we that's, I wonder what, but what do you think spirit means? Uh, you know, like cheering people up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I oh, think okay. it means, uh, like mind manipulation type things. Okay. I didn't know if maybe with the, the healing thing she was doing was a spirit. Something to do with life power and, and thoughts mm-hmm. and vague hand wavy stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she doesn't, she hasn't really said any of that yet True. in the book so far. Uh, so they, they reach Barillon finally. And the, the country folk are awed by this town. It has a wooden wall 
Yeah. <laughs> I know. When I heard them describing this, I was like, this is not actually that great of a... I mean, it's fine, I guess. <laughs> right. They, some of the roads are paved. Uh, but the it's the biggest city they've ever seen. And Tom actually makes it... He, like, yeah. snorts and says Tom city. Tom and oh. I think Moraine, too, get a little snotty about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Because even Moraine, she says, what do you think of your first sight of Barillon, Rand? And, mm. like, I feel like she's kind of setting him up to make fun of him there. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, she was. Yeah. Uh, and they're having a little fun with him. Uh, yeah. It, it's kind of... I don't know. They dragged him here, right? It's not like they wanted to come here. Yeah. Uh, and it's not their fault that they live in a tiny town. And uh, Land changes his cloak. He, Land changes his cloak. He puts away his magic invisible cloak that you can see through. Yeah, he packs it away and wears a normal brown cloak because I guess here people might recognize that as a warder cloak. Well, it's, it's it could be that or it could just be that it's clearly magic and that in a place like Berlon, they are trying to hide... Yeah. The fact that they have magic. But he was willing stuff. to wear it in Emmonsfield? Well, I mean, what are the, what are the people in Emmonsfield going to say? Clearly they didn't even stand up to them. They're like, hi, hey, his cloak is kind of magic-y looking. Yeah, I guess Whatever. folks do that up north. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're so provincial, they don't even know magic right. when they see it. And Lan and Moraine go by different names here, yeah. which is interesting. They go by, uh, what, uh, Lan is Andra and Moraine is Alice? Yes. Mistress yeah. Alice? Spelled differently, but yes. <laughs> I, so, are their names really... Would their names be recognized outside of like? Is it necessary to change your name, or so much as just well, we not don't be known know as... at this point? But I guess the our takeaway is that they might be recognized, or if news of their whereabouts got around, somebody would be looking for them. Yeah, uh, you know, if if Moraine is totally on the up and up and is just taking them to Tarvalon, why? Why well, is why is she hiding her name? And yeah. I think part of it too is because we're about to find out the children of the light are. In Barlon. Yes. Barlon. Uh, somebody, some, a group of people we haven't met yet, the Children of the Light, derisively called the White Cloaks, right. are in Barlon. And they hate Aes Sedai and Dark Friends alike. As they yeah. Say. They're really rigid Puritans, basically. Yeah. Uh, with swords. They're like the, the Inquisition, basically. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Uh, so they learn that, and uh, Lana Moraine, now going by An- Andra and Alice, yeah, get through the gate by basically bribing their way through. Uh, because the gate, they get through the back gate. They want to go in the front gate for some reason. Uh, and they bribe their way through and get the news. Uh, and the news is that the false dragon is heading to tear because there's a prophecy. And we don't really know any more about that. The prophecy about the, the stone of tear and the, is it tear or tear? I've always said tear. Tear, yeah. I always said tear. Yeah. It's spelled the same way, I guess. That this, there's a sword that cannot be touched. Inside the, the the rock of tear, yeah, the, the stone of the stone of terror has the the sword that cannot be touched, and the false dragon is is heading that way, and he's calling his people the people of the dragon, uh, which means something to Andrew and Alice, but doesn't mean anything to us. It's just mm. some news that's happening. Yeah. So they head in, and after going through some narrow alleys, they end up coming in the back door of another inn. A big one. A big one. With a great chapter ending there. Baths, the innkeeper said. Why, just the best and the hottest in Berlon. Come, welcome to the stag and lion. Welcome to Berlon. <laughs> yeah, yes, nice closer. Yeah. Uh, it's a good bookend to this, this section of running and hiding through the wilderness that we've had. They're finally back in civilization. Uh, here in chapter 14, the stag and lion, mm-hmm. which is the name of the inn. And this inn is big and bustling and very populated. It, re- it kind of reminded me actually of the the inn in, or the bathhouse in Spirited Away. Oh yeah, lots of. Yeah, I, I was actually surprised at how big this is because they're describing like dozens of ser- servers and and, yeah. and wait, wait staff. And, and there are five stable boys at least that they count. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, 
which apparently there's a high headcount for Stable Boys anyway, because the one in Emmons Field that no one ever visits had two. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so the, the, this inn is 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 large by even what I would consider you know normal standards for us. Right. Yeah. So it's big. It's prosperous. It's full of people. It's apparently, the the miners have come down because the winter has eased off a little bit. So all the miners come down from the mountain. Uh, and to escape also, it, right? They're, they're, they're not actually there because they want to be there. They're as like re- for refuge, essentially. I guess you're right. Yeah, they did, I, didn't, I didn't put that together. But he did say that. Yeah, the, now that they can finally get down here, they need to come down here and get some food. Yeah, I got the impression that the reason the city is so full is because there's not another safe place to be right now. Mm-hmm. And it's it's it seems to be aware on everyone's resources, too. Yeah. Yeah, so they're, they're at this inn. The inn is full. The city is full. Uh, this innkeeper is a very nice guy. Seems like... Like Bran Alvier, you know, a very nice guy. Yeah. Nothing wrong with him. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I, I buy this guy. He's pretty cool. He's a bustling in, you know. He you don't have like, a problem with this innkeeper? No, he's no, he's he's clearly on he's the up fat. and up. Yeah, Which but I mean, I like I remember was a sign of evil doings. But he 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 runs one of the biggest inns in the city, as we learn later. And I think that this this is probably. I mean, he's well fed. I mean, what, what I don't understand what you're getting at, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> this man is clearly not a cannibal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so they immediately all have a bath, which kind of surprised me because they, do they have baths a lot in Emmonsfield? Are they that, you know, cleanly? I mean, they've been traveling for over a week, so they're probably pretty nasty by this point. But this, take Rand, he works on a farm. Do they take baths at the farm? I think that they do. I think that at one point he actually talks about drawing a bath. In their in their living room or something. Oh, well, I mean, it, it's, no it's secrets at the Althor farm. Well, I mean, there's not much else you can do. I mean, you're, you're you don't have a, a bathroom exactly, so you just you have a big tub. You heat up some water on the yeah in the fireplace and, and just that's cook it. yourself. You probably don't have a, a big soaking tub though, because it, it was interesting the way they described it. It's almost more of a a Japanese style uh, bathing situation where you right. have like a dipper and a bucket. Yeah, another Eastern you, influence. Yeah, you you clean first and then you soak. So right. Uh, and there, there's yeah. a, and it's a big open room with a, a series of tubs, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, what do you say, a dozen? Yeah, all in like a circle. That's, that's a huge bathroom, right? Yeah. Uh, they so ba- bathing must be a really big deal for these people, <laughs> which is good for them. Yeah, uh, it does sound really nice the way they describe it. Yeah, they I have mean, this, this hot steam or this, if they, this, this boiling water or this heated up water with fire, and they pour it all over themselves and they sink themselves into the bath so slowly and. Ease out all the kinks in their muscles. and So good. It is yeah. really nice, yeah. Right. Kind of makes me want to take a bath. <laughs> but, uh, and a there's... slow process of luxuriant size. <laughs> That's right. Like so many things. <sighs> <sighs> right. Robert Jordan, really into baths. So uh, they're, they're talking a little bit with the, the surly bathroom attendant when Matt, the idiot... Start talking about the Trollocs. He won't shut the fuck up about Trollocs. Like, everyone's trying to drop hints. Like, dude. dude. Oh, he's stop like, telling Tom's stories. And yeah, he's, he's just not getting it. He's like, I'm not telling Tom stories. You guys are, are trying to make it seem like what I just said doesn't matter. But what I was talking about, <laughs> Trollocs. <laughs> With the great line, Rand wondered how to shut him up short of jumping on him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I'm coming around to y'all's view of Matt that that guy's a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh... Right. But then Land shows up. 
Yeah, and then Lan shows up, who who knew that Matt was talking about Trollocs before he even came in the room. I got the impression that he was listening at the door, because that guy is always listening at someone's door. (laughs) (laughs) He's the most paranoid person ever. He wanted to know what they're talking about before he came in. Yeah, every time he goes in a room, he listens at the door for five minutes first. Yeah, and then he's like, oh, don't talk about it, because there might be dark friends, or they may call you a dark friend if you're talking about this. Which kind of makes sense. I mean, with the... If the... The children of the light are in town. It sounds like they're mm-hmm. they're not super. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're, and the children not... of the light are like the the bad news of the Inquisition. They are they they are always looking for a reason to to burn somebody, to mm-hmm. string somebody up. Yep, because uh, they're super righteous and they make themselves feel better by by looking down on other people. Uh, yeah, but Land, yeah, like you said, Land gives him a talk and says, "Don't talk about Trollocs, especially you, Matt. In fact, only you, Matt. You are the person who needs to stop talking about Trollocs." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then he gets in the bath because it's bath time. Yeah, and they all have a bath together. Yeah, and and, and Lan it's totally says, not weird. Yeah, Lan, I think he literally says, "Don't trust anybody." Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is interesting because the person they're not trusting is him and Moraine. That's mm-hmm. true. Uh, yeah, bath time. I mean, I guess it's part of the part of the culture, right? Everybody takes baths together. Yeah, it seems I mean, weird to me. It's but. it's not a it's definitely not a thing in Japan. You know, if you go to an onsen in Japan, it's like everyone's hanging out in the bath. Not a big mm-hmm. deal. You just like naked. Yes, bros. Yes. I mean, yeah. by this point, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm sure they've seen each other naked, more or less, by now, right? I think that I think that we have a Western hangups that are that are influencing our, our thoughts here. I think that this is totally an American thing. I think that in most cultures, it probably isn't a big deal. Really? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. So yeah, one other thing is that uh, Lan they they go out and they talk to Moraine a bit, and Lan says the news about Loghain, the false dragon, has been confirmed. Uh, he is heading to Terror, and he has named his. People, his group of followers, the people of the dragon. And this is important to them, but they don't really say why. And Egwene is still miffed at Rand. And she has a little, like, Rand is about to apologize, and then she, like, gives him a look, and he's like, well, fuck you, too. <laughs> yeah, this, 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 their, their interactions are very frustrating to me, because they seem, like, so easily resolvable. You know, <laughs> if they weren't just, like, both assholes, it would be like, yeah. just, just sit down and talk it out, it's fine. I mean, they, they keep saying, like, these people love each other, and they were going to get married, but every interaction they have is really rough. When was the last time they had a positive interaction? Yeah. I, I don't think we've seen one in the entire course of the books. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's definitely not a, like, oh, I love you so much, it's a hatred thing. Like, they just they're teenagers, I think. Yeah. 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 So maybe the best thing that could happen for them was Trollocs attack their village and prevent them from getting married. <laughs> yeah. God, they would have a terrible marriage. Right. Uh, yeah, so, and then uh, we briefly glimpse a, a, a girl dressed in boys' clothes who oh. will show up later that Moraine is talking to. And they all go to sleep. And Rand goes to sleep. And it's dream time. It's a spooky-ass dream. Yeah, yeah. it is. This is a serious dream. Rand is in a... A uh, weird stone hallway with all these doors, uh, and he, he's 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 super thirsty, and he can hear water drippings, and he can't remember anything, so he decides to head for the water. Uh, and he opens one of the doors, and there's this room, and through the room is a balcony, and there's a sky that's torn with black clouds, and no one ever saw a sky like that. It's freaky, and so he heads back the other way through another door, and it's the same room. And so he heads back through the door, and it's the same room again. He can't get away, uh, and the the room is has weird angles and everything is freaky and like when he's not looking at the stones of the fireplace he can they're 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 screaming faces <laughs> i know this is like this, this is the creepiest room i've ever heard in my life yeah and then there's a guy there who was yeah. there the whole time maybe but he didn't see him yeah then... there's a guy there and he starts talking to rand there's a mirror and rand looks in the mirror and he's just a blur in the mirror and the guy says some crazy stuff to rand and tries to get him to drink from a goblet 
which Rand almost does because he's so thirsty. <laughs> uh, but every time the the man talks, like there's an instant of like hell through his eyes. Yeah, like, like caverns of flame. Endless his eyes of and flame. mouth become like a pit of horrible flame. Right, and but Rand's like, but I really am thirsty, so <laughs> maybe I'll try that. Uh, and the man introduces himself as Baal Zaman, mm. uh, which Rand recognizes as the Dark One. Mm-hmm. And uh, he tells Rand that the the Aes Sedai are using him just like they used all these other guys that they listed, a bunch of interesting names like Urien Stonebow and Rowland Darkspain. Uh, and then he talks about Archer Hawkwing, who apparently Rand knows who that is. He's a historical figure. Uh, and he talks about the Trolloc Wars. He talks about how, you know... I lost the Trolloc Wars, but I got what I wanted, which was shattered the nations of man. And, and can we talk about his name real quick? Baal Zaman. Baal Zaman, because I had to go back and look it up again, but Baal shows up in in the Bible. He's a yeah, yeah. I think he was a he was a god of one of those other people around the Israelites, like the Hittites or somebody. I, I it's 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 a, it's a very complicated. I was looking it up, and um, that's part of it. But there are other times in the Bible when it's kind of a just a reference to a god in general. But the one we're thinking about was... Uh, Not Beelzebub. No, no. There was the Egypt, mm-hmm. He was the, at Canaan. It was an Egyptian god, actually. And, oh, was that Baal? Yeah, Baal, with the same mm. um, apostrophe in the yeah. same place. He's a sky god, right, I think? He's particularly associated with storms. Yeah. He's like, yeah. He's like Zeus-ish. Yeah. yeah, and like in some places he's really bad, and in some he's not. But for the most part, he's the most commonly known one. Is he's kind of like an evil god who wants people to sacrifice and stuff. Fire is sometimes associated with Baal as well. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. This guy's Baalzaman is totally associated with fire because yeah, he shoots out of his face. When he <laughs> <does. Yeah. laughs> he's like super the devil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and he's really creepy. He, he, yeah, he talks about all this stuff that Rand doesn't necessarily understand what he's talking about. Uh, and then he threatens Rand. He says, you can't trust the Aes Sedai. Uh, you should, you know, and you and I will destroy you. <laughs> so you can't trust me either. And then he kills a rat by making the rat bend itself backwards and break its own back. Yeah, it's that's kind of, a, kind of yeah. a horrific thing. Which Rand thinks along something along the lines of, that's messed up. Mm-hmm. And then he start, the Balsamon starts doing it to Rand, and he feels himself bending backwards. And then he wakes up. Uh, and he's freaked out because, of course he is, because that was freaky. Uh, and he's like, oh, I... Should I tell Moraine about it? You know? Because, yeah. yeah. obviously, yeah, that's not the obvious thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you should tell Moraine about it, but no, maybe nah, not. Nah, don't trust Moraine. Well, Moraine did say if she thought that the Dark One had like a was going to get him, that she would kill him herself. Kill him herself. But she's also said that she can help with bad dreams. Like, she, I think she literally said, if you're having bad dreams, tell me because I can help with that. <laughs> she did say that, right. And, he's, and he thinks that. You know, she did say she could help with bad dreams. Nah. <laughs> well, I, the thing is, I see where he's coming from, though, because we learned that the Aes Sedai are, they kill, there's a whole group of them that are there to kill men, you oh, know? that's right. The, the yeah, red. they hunt down the, hunt down the men who that's can right. they talk about that. mess with the one source. The red Aja, whose job is to hunt down men. Yeah. Yeah. We, we haven't heard much else about, except that that's what they yeah. do. There are other yeah. Ajas. Yeah. We don't uh, know, we don't know what Moraine is, right? Yeah, she hasn't said yet. No. She, yeah. Think she said. I think that her accoutrement will give us a clue yes. <laughs> which color Aja she yeah, is. That's yes. true. She has an awful lot of blue. Yeah, it's probably nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I said I do tend to color code, actually. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a rule. They just do that. 
Uh, right. So he wakes up in the inn, and the other two dudes, he's staying in a room with Lan and, and Tom, and the, the other bros are staying in another room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's freaked out. We get some kind of interesting information from Balzaman, too. Uh, mm-hmm. Stepping back for a minute here, because it says, because yeah. he's talk. Balzaman is having this conversation with Randon. He says, the strings that move you have been centuries weaving. Your father was chosen by the White Tower, like a stallion roped and led to his business. Your mother was no more than a broodmare to their plans. Yeah, yeah. That, that's interesting. He's kind of hinting that Rand's creation is not an accident. Yeah. And, and I think, if I remember correctly, Rand mistakenly thinks that they're talking about Tam for some reason. Doesn't yeah, my something? father's a good man and my mother was a good woman, even though he's been told that they aren't actually his parents. Right. Right. Yeah. But he's rejecting that. He doesn't sure. want to believe it. Right. Yeah. Oh, so he's he's still he's still on not a, he's still not convinced that he's yeah, adopted. Yeah, he's, okay. he's still thinking like, oh, maybe that was just delirium when my father said, "I'm not your father. I found you. <laughs> You're adopted." <laughs> yeah. No, no, he's just crazy. Yeah, no. Yeah. And then my father, who never lies to me, he was just making that up. Right. Uh, yeah, you're right. Balsamon says that, which is interesting because it's implied that he actually the, the first thing he says basically is, "Which one are you?" Uh, which I take to mean like, which of these three boys that I'm looking for are you? Oh, okay. Because remember, they, they're all born within some time of each other, and they, we don't know which one Balsamon is after. Mm-hmm. True. But then he starts t- saying these things which are only relevant to Rand. Mm-hmm. So maybe he... Oh, maybe that's it. Maybe he knows that that the whoever it is that he's looking for was born outside of Emmons Field, but he doesn't know which of those three, one, three boys was born outside of Emmons Field. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're all three important for different reasons. I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. we know that he's... Well, I guess we don't really know exactly what he's looking for, just that... You know, those guys are important for some reason. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, but he does spend a he does name a number of false dragons. Yeah. When in his little like monologue he's got going on in the dream. Yeah. I, I don't think we know that they're all false dragons. We do know that Logan at least is. Yeah, but they talk about Theron King, lose Theron Kinslayer. They talk about mm. Arter Arter Hawkling. Uh, I guess we. Yeah. I guess they're not necessarily false dragons, right? We he don't goes know through, much about them. Yeah, at this point, we see that we learn that in the next chapter, actually. But at this point, we don't know who those. He says uh, the White Tower is just going to use you that like they used da 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 da. These this list of names, mm-hmm. and then he starts talking about Arthur Hawkwing. Like I whispered in his ear and 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 started this giant war, and then I I whispered in his ear again, and I made him send his armies across the sea, and then blah blah blah. The, I made the Trolloc Wars happen. Uh, and it was horrible for all of you you people. And I eventually lost, but I got what I wanted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's definitely talking like the Dark One, mm-hmm. right? If the Dark One is this force of evil that's that lives in the North and sends Trollocs to kill people. But yeah. he's also but he's also heavily implying and outright saying that the Aes Sedai are not without their kind of nefarious plans. Like the, that some of these thing, these terrible things are yeah. the result of Aes Sedai manipulation. Yeah. Just because he's evil doesn't mean he's he's lying about that. Right. And we from what we've seen in Moraine. She does seem pretty manipulative. Yeah. yeah. She tells people what they want to hear. She gets what she wants. And and we don't know at this point what her motivations are. True. Yeah. But this definitely raises a lot of questions about why is Balzaman focusing on Rand now? Yeah. Well. Or is she focusing just on him? He isn't, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. As we, yeah. As uh, we learn next in the next chapter. <laughs> right. Yes. Chapter 15, Strangers <laughs> and Friends. Mm. Uh, so Rand wakes up. Late, and he's like, "Well, I never wake up late on the farm." Uh, and he heads to the kitchen to just get some food, which I guess is something you do: just go to the kitchen, feed me. 
Yeah. Well, that's what he does in, in at the wine spring, right? So that, to me, that sounded ridiculous too. But that's exactly what he does at the wine spring. <laughs> right. He goes to the wine spring and he goes to the kitchen, and the the the, the innkeeper's wife feeds him every time. That's, <laughs> which is again why I wonder. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've stayed at hotels. I've any never money. done that. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> the wine spring don't make any money. Oh my god! But they are very concerned with fattening up the people who are in the <laughs> oh field. My god. I'm just saying, <laughs> fattening up the livestock. Here, have some honey. Have some of my delicious honey cakes. Yeah. And as he's sitting in the the, <clears throat> the inn, he walks in on an argument between the the innkeeper and the cook. The cook, mm-hmm. yeah. And the cook who works for the innkeeper is nonetheless very rude to him. I felt mm-hmm. this this whole interaction like made me roll my eyes a little bit because <laughs> this is like this is how Robert Jordan right writes the interaction. Women. Not just women, <laughs> yeah. the way that women and men interact. This is the only way he knows how women and men inter- interact, with the exception of like Moraine. Like <laughs> every like husband wife, every like. Woman male yeah. duo seems to be this exact interaction where it's like the man thinks he's in charge, but no, it's really the woman who's like running the show because he's yeah. pecking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like the innkeeper. Yeah, what happened apparently is the innkeeper found a bunch of like a, a bunch of dead rats in the inn, uh, and he went to talk to the cook because the cook has the cat, and the, normally, cook, yeah. and the cook takes it in the most the in the worst possible way. Like he's accusing her of some. Some bad thing. It's you know? a very reasonable thing to say, hey, we yeah. found a bunch of dead rats. Can you yeah. just, you know, keep We didn't think there were cat. rats in the inn. We found like a dozen rats and they all had their backs broken. And I thought that was a little weird. And she's like, well, why don't I just quit then? <laughs> I mean, but doesn't that seem kind of unfair of Master Fitch, though? To like, that's what cats are supposed to do. They're supposed to kill rats. Like, was he expecting the cat to kill the rat and then like take it away? I don't think but he then, had like, any... Why is he pissed off? I, I don't think he was pissed off. I don't think he had any expectations. I think he was telling her about a thing that <laughs> right. happened and she was and like... she just took offense. He, yeah. He mentions that he was getting complaints from the the guest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and this is an unusual thing. Now, that's my read too is he's bringing it up like, here's this unusual thing going on. What's going on with your cat? You know, in like a respectful way. Although okay. we did not see the beginning of that. That's right. He could have come in and been like, fuck your cat. <laughs> yeah, <you're, laughs> your cat is killing too many rats. What the hell? Your cooking is awful. And so... It, and then we walk in and then this this conversation makes a lot more sense. <laughs> that would be true. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should see this in the most positive possible light. Uh, but then, yeah, she threatens to, to quit all of a sudden, which seems like an unusual reaction, but seems to, to work, and he right, backs yeah, down immediately. It's like, uh, that's what manipulative people do, is like they go ballistic. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That's uh, true. Like, he's kind of re- representing women as sort of like this, like, narcissist thing, right? Like, that's, isn't that a narcissist behavior? Like, yeah. these extreme, like, reactions to try and get people this, to, like, yeah. be, you know, dance the way that you want them to dance. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's never portrayed in the books like they're being bad people. It's just... Just, just how just women be. That's the way women are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just the way women be. But the, the takeaway for Rand, because he doesn't think this interaction is unusual at all. I know. Yeah. <laughs> is that all the rats in the inn had their backs broken in an extremely creepy way, which is exactly what happened in his dream. And that's creepy. Which yeah. is, though, it's confusing to me because didn't we find out earlier on that rats and, like, crows are servants of, of the dark? Yeah, oh, that's true. So why would you why would you be killing rats? Well, I think it's more just like, to me, this seemed like the dark one sending a message. Okay. Yeah, maybe like the what's... dark one can control rats and this, and that means he can do this to rats. Okay, okay. Uh and or maybe he did it by accident. Maybe he was just like hit hit his button to kill the rats, and he hit all the rats in the end. <laughs> it doesn't have like a super like precise control yeah. over his power. But I think that's that's really creepy because that clearly means this is not just a dream. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and the the dark one has influence even where where they are right now. Yeah, right. Even in this this safe inn, which is like 
in this inn and bathhouse, which is had every signifier of being like a, a, a comfy, safe space. Mm-hmm. And the dark one is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Rand goes off to find someone to talk to. And he, he first tries Tom, but Tom is in the, uh, the main room uh, telling this. We get this really cool snippet of the story he's telling in the main room because you know, he's entertaining the people. And it's, it's kind of Homeric. He's talking, telling the story of the great hunt, and he's, he's, it's in this kind of poetic manner Chanting. where he's sort of repeating things, and all these phrases are connected to each other. Uh, uh, it's really cool. And yeah, Rand mentions that it's, he's talking in the plain chant. Yeah, there's high chant, plain chant, and common, which I like, yeah. we don't know anything about that yet, but I thought that was kind of an interesting idea is that yeah. he has all these different levels of performance that he, he prepares for right. different situations. I'm wondering who, who listens to high chant? I would imagine like royalty, right? That, I mean, I don't know that, but that's that's what I took away from it. If this is what he does, if if plain chant is like for a common room, then if he's performing for yeah. someone important, he might do high chant. But right. I don't know what that what does that sound like though. I mean, how yeah, is that he, different? Does he tell the same stories in high chant and common as he does in plain chant? That's a good question. They right. say that when he was traveling with them, he told a lot of story. Wait, oh no, it doesn't say that. He said Tom told stories in common, but he did not bother to hide his contempt for the voice. Right. So yeah, it doesn't necessarily say that. Yeah, that's right. And maybe it's like a what iambic pentameter, right? Like Shakespearean. That's high chant. Mm-hmm. Is this way? This really, if you can, if you can parse it, is a really interesting way of hearing these stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but that I, I really like that snippet we got because it's it was, it's a very different style of storytelling than we're getting in this book right now from Robert Jordan, True. who's just writing in this uh, third person subjective prose. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Who does he talk to? He talks to... He talks to Perrin. Perrin's... Yeah, Perrin, because Perrin is still sleeping. Right. He goes upstairs because he wants to see if there's anyone still around. He goes to the... Because there's two bedrooms. Yeah. His was empty when he woke up, so he goes to the other bedroom. Yeah, and, and Perrin is there. Perrin in there. And Perrin tells him that he and Matt have had the same dream as Rand. Mm-hmm. With the, the dead rat and everything. Yep. Uh, yeah. Ooh, that's creepy. So they all had the same dream, which makes sense if we think that the Dark One doesn't necessarily know which one of them is the one. Yeah. So, so he tried to get them to... To talk or something, to, to give away who they are, which he, like, erases their memory and then asks them questions about who they are. It's not a very good plan. Yeah, it does, it does seem like an odd choice. I mean, if you want to ask someone questions about who they are, maybe leave a little bit of who they are in there. <laughs> but yeah, but the, you know, Balsamon seems to get stuff done, so he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, and Rand can't get Perrin to get out of bed because Perrin is still feeling awful from, you know, being having that terrible dream. Right. So he heads out to the streets of Barillon on his own. Uh, and they are overwhelming. He's never seen this many people before. They're like pushing past each other. He thinks, oh my God, none of these people know each other. <laughs> <laughs> that was, like I actually find that in that interaction kind of comical because he walks out. He's like, he looks around and he's like, on second thought, maybe, oh yeah, I really should go see if these other guys have something. <laughs> he like yeah. finds an excuse to go back inside. Cause really the inside's a really good place to be right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because he's still just a just a country boy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he runs into Min. This is our, our first meeting with Min. Min. I, I, like, I, I don't remember much of Min from my previous week, but I already like her. She seems my, pretty cool. My memory is that she is the, the female character that is not a terrible person. <laughs> she dresses like a dude. I, yeah, and her name is Min. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Her name is literally Min. Yeah, yeah right. and she's a little older. Uh, yeah, right. And she's got, and she's, he describes her, unlike the way he describes most other women, he does not describe her as pretty. He just says she has big brown eyes, you know, and he, he says the things that we associate with being pretty, but he doesn't say Rand thinks she's pretty mm-hmm. uh, because she's dressed in boy clothes and Rand's not into that. 
but she they have a nice conversation uh, where Min kind of makes fun of him. I, I actually thought this was funny because like she seems to be heavily hinting that like she sees like a history between them or, or like a future between the two. Yeah, of them. because yeah, she does. because what she says uh, first she says that uh, down country folk are known to be stubborn and they're down country folk and he's like what we are no we're not which kind of explains. Some of the way these people act towards each other is that they are just all stubborn because they've all got that stubborn gene. Right. Uh, you know, like the way Rand and Egwene deal with each other, like that's they're two very stubborn people that can't God. just have a conversation. That's so irritating. I, it's irritating for me to read stuff like that because I'm like, just, this is so easy to solve. Just how two rivers folk get down. Yeah, right. Uh, and what Min says to Rand is that the reason Moraine talks to her, and she knows who Moraine is, by the way, uh, she doesn't call her Mistress Alice, is that men can see symbols around people when she mm-hmm. looks at people. Parts of the patterns. Yeah, parts, of, parts the of the pattern. pattern yeah. The tapestry that, that they're all part of. And they, these can be signs of the future, signs of the past, signs of the secrets. And they're, they're all different. Sometimes she knows what they mean, sometimes she doesn't. I actually really dig this explanation of prophecy because I think that there's a lot of times when stories handle prophecy in a really irritating way where it's like, oh, there's like, you see these things and you don't know what they mean. But like for her, it's these, these symbols that you can see sort yeah. of how they could be interpreted, but they're not, they're not very clear. I actually kind of, they're, I, they're like concrete this. to her. Yeah. It's not, they're not like a, I saw a misty thing that could have been a person or it could have been a cloak right, or something. It's, it's really simple. She's like, oh, I see a, a scale. Like she says of Matt, I see an eyeball on a scale. Yeah, a, a red eagle, uh, and a, a, a jeweled yeah. dagger. It's like all these things that... Right. And I have no idea what any of this stuff means, but that's what I see. Yeah, I actually kind of like that. I, I Like, it, it's very clear that what she sees is, like you said, very concrete. And she's like, it's so clear that I don't see... I don't get why other people don't see it. But, you know, clearly it's also a little abstract, so open to her interpretation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although she seems to have gotten pretty good at interpreting them at this point, so she knows what a lot of them mean. Uh, and, you know, having a hint of the future is super useful. So that's why uh, Maureen wants to talk to her. Yeah, she says something about, I think it's Egwene, where she says, oh, I saw some things that I know what those mean. And she's not going to, she's not going to, she's going to do it. She's, basically, she's going to go through with it, hinting that she's going to go be a nice Sedai. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly, yeah. Well, she doesn't say what she sees around him, but around her, but she knows what it means. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So apparently there's, there are shared signs then, I guess. There's like, some things that seem to mean yeah, the same the, thing. Yeah, the sign her. that means she's going to be an Aes Sedai is the same for everybody. Right. But there are other things that are unique to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, the Robert Jordan does just sprays a bunch of foreshadowing here when yeah. she lists off all these symbols. Yeah. I which I, I, I remember these books pretty well, so I know what most of these things mean. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I don't remember most of it, but when I was reading these symbols, I was like, oh man, he's like laying yeah. some major major foreshadowing here. But if, but if you like puzzling about this, it's really worth putting a bookmark here and, and checking back on this to see, you know, how these things come to fruition. Yeah, yeah. I think every one of the symbols that she mentions have, like, a connection to the later story. Right, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, which I... If, do you guys want to list them here or not? Do we go keep going? Uh, we can. I mean... They, they may not mean much at this point. Yeah, they, yeah. I don't think the, any of them mean anything at this point. But she sees symbols around all of them. Mm-hmm. One thing I noticed, she, she said, like... About Lan, guys like him always have lots of these symbols. And yeah. I don't know what that means. Like, people with blue eyes? Warders? Right? Warders? Or, or is it maybe, you know, people who are adventurers and go around yeah. doing lots of stuff? Northerners? Yeah, that's yeah. a good question. I, I don't know, because she doesn't specify. But uh, she sees lots of symbols around Rand, Matt, and Perrin, and Egwene. And the most important thing, I think, is she, when they're all together, she sees something around all of them. Right. Mm-hmm. She sees, like, there's a giant cloud, and it's like the darkness... Like the giant cloud of darkness and all these little sparks, 
and the, the sparks are trying to like fill the darkness and the darkness is trying to consume the sparks and it's stronger when they're all together. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's something going on with all of them that's a, like a big deal. Uh, and she says that. And, and she also basically says like, you know, we're going to meet each other again. And, you know, it's not what I thought I wanted, but, you nudge, know, nudge, wink, wink. I guess it's what you're going to want, you know. Yeah. Uh, if I told you everything I saw, you'd be as curly haired as your friend with the shoulders. Well, that, yeah, this whole interaction is what I'm talking about. Like, Min yeah. is heavily hinting that, like, she and Rand are going to hook it up in the future, right? And th- yeah, yeah, indeed. <laughs> Which is great, but then at the end, she gets a little creepy. <laughs> you run, run if you up. want, but you can't escape from me. Yeah, it's all a joke to her, you know? <laughs> yeah, to her, I guess she's, so. I mean, Min's if a, been around. If a guy were saying it, it'd probably be really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> right, but, yeah. No, you're right. It is, it is a little on the creepy side. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know. I guess just how she interacts with people. I mean, I guess if she knows they're going to hook up, she doesn't have to do anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever yeah. she says is fine. Yeah. It's like inevitable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it happens. But that's kind of cool. I, I like the Min character a lot. I think she's fun. Uh, I really like the little hints of foreshadowing that she sprays around every time they're, that she's around. Yeah. Uh, right. So Rand takes off, runs away from her because he's freaked out by this... A girl in boys' clothes. Uh, <laughs> no, it's really not that. It's the he's freaked out by her telling him the future and giving him these weird lascivious hints. Yeah. Uh, and so he's off in the city, and the city is just the biggest thing he's ever seen. People everywhere. He wanders around. He smells things he never smelled before. Sees things he's never seen before. Uh, but then he sees something he's seen before, yeah. which is Patton Fane, the peddler. Right. Who's like dressed in rags and looks like crap. Yeah, we and, thought he was eaten by Trollocs. Yeah, yeah. but now somehow he mysteriously appears here. Yeah. And he has like a kind of a golemy vibe now. Like, mm-hmm. did you pick up on that? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, he's like like hunched over and he's like talking kind of like half mad. It's like he clearly had had a rough time getting to Berlon. Yeah. Well, he did somehow get there before they did. And they were on horses. Right? That is a great Ooh, point. Yeah, yeah they were on horses point. and they were rushing. They had magic anti-tiredness. Like the yeah. Maureen's five-hour energy. I did not even consider that, but you're absolutely right. So he, yeah, somehow he got ahead of them. And he says he couldn't get his horses. He says that his horses were yeah. locked in the stable and he couldn't get them for some reason. You know? right. He says he was running. My boots are all worn out with running. Right. And so so he, this is, he ran there? Yeah, yeah, he is acting way squirrely. Yeah. yeah. And Rand is like, doesn't seem super tipped off about that, you know? Right. Like he, yeah, to me, it's, thing, like literally runs away from him, and then Rand accidentally corners him in an alley because he's chasing him. Yeah. And he's like, why don't I get you a hot meal or something? And Patton Fane's like, stay away, everything sucks. Ah! <laughs> and he's like, no, no, it's going to be all right. Come on back with you me. You know, which is kind of bullshit to me because like he's so ready to just trust Patton Fane when he has zero trust for Moraine or Lane or anyone else. To me, it seems like Patton... I did know Patton Fane from years before, but you're you're totally right. Yeah. To me, like, if 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 I were in this situation, I'd be like, this guy is totally a problem. I need to, you know, keep an eye on him at least or, you know, something, but... Yeah, this yeah. is not normal. This is, this is not a normal reaction even to what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It, he is... He's like, I, why don't I come... Why don't I invite you back to our... our Hotel that where where they where Land told me specifically not to t- talk to anybody or trust anybody. Yeah, and he said he mentions Moraine is there, like in Land by and name. tells him the name of the hotel where they're staying. Oh, he does. Right. Yeah, yeah, we're staying at the Sagan. The, whatever the Sagan. The... Yeah, it's like pointing out the window to creep in to slit his throat or something. Right. It's it's uh, he he acts pretty naive, but then Pat and Fane books it again. Yeah, uh, runs off, uh, still acting squirrely, uh, and Rand chases him and runs into Matt. Which is a pretty awesome coincidence. Yeah, for this city full of people, they just 
bump into each other. Yeah. But literally bump into each other, I think. I, I think it's important to, to, to pay attention to how often coincidences drive this, this narrative. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he runs into Matt, uh, and Rand at this point is, is feeling awful. Mm-hmm. He's feeling super sick. Yeah, like fevered and kind of like yeah. foggy in the head. Yeah, at first I thought it had to do with the dream just because he didn't sleep well. Uh, but this is going beyond that, right? He seems like really sick. Yeah. Uh, and they see a couple of white cloaks, and Matt says, you know what would be funny? If these like Spanish Inquisition guys, if I went and played a prank on them. Matt. I, I want to take a moment to point out that when they first encounter the white cloaks... The Children of the Light. You know what the one of the things that they spend a lot of time describing is? <laughs> Their cloaks. Their cloaks. cloaks. Their nice. pristine white cloaks with a golden embroidered sunburst on them. And... Yeah, it's like, but Robert Jordan's like, okay, yeah, they're like Spanish Inquisition, but what about the cloaks? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yet again, the cloaks are very important to the mm-hmm. the uh, the characters here. And yeah, yeah, as as you mentioned, Matt thinks it's a great idea to, an- to antagonize them for whatever reason, despite the fact that these people are yeah. the Spanish Inquisition go around burning people, burning farms, as they said, and yeah. they know. And everybody that they've met that's talked about the White Cloaks is like, man, I hope they, I don't piss them off. You know, they're the worst. And Matt's like, I'm going to go piss these guys off. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, right away. Like, first thing. Like, it, like it doesn't, I, it, it's not even apparent to me why this occurred to him. He was just, like, looking at them, he's like, I'm going to go fuck with those guys. He says something like, oh, I hate people who walk around with their nose in the air. They remind me of this guy back home who walked around with his nose in the air. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go mess with them, you know? Uh, but, and Rand, who's like super acting really weird, he's acting lightheaded. Uh, he's like, oh, great idea. I'll just stand here and watch. <laughs> yeah. Where normally he would probably tackle them to the ground or something. One would hope. I mean. Yeah. So, so Matt goes up. So the white clubs come down the street uh, and people are just getting out of their way. No one will meet their eyes. Yeah, everyone seems, else has the good sense to avoid them. Yeah. Everybody's acting really scared of these people. And, and as they're about to cross in front of Rand, Matt like uses his sling to knock down a post that is holding some barrels back to just roll a bunch of barrels at the White Cloaks. Yeah, splash uh, some mud on them. Which seems a little bit more than a prank because you can die that way. <laughs> but, well, I mean, as we've established, Matt's pranks sometimes are very dangerous. Like <laughs> when he released the badger into yeah. the, <laughs> under the green with all the people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and especially, like, it's uncertain footing conditions, you know? It's, it's really muddy, like... This but, could have gone really poorly. Yeah, like this could have been. This could have ended with Matt burned at the stake. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the white cloaks get out of the way. Only they can't avoid getting splashed with mud on their white cloaks. Ha ha. Uh, which is, you know, I guess funny. I guess Matt, if you really don't like white cloaks. Rand thinks it's funny apparently because yeah, he stands there laughing at them. It's <laughs> like the whole everybody on the street books it, and and Rand is just standing there, literally laughing in their faces. I know it's almost like he, he's he's like super high on drugs or something. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, he yeah. he definitely doesn't seem in his right mind, and like he says, you know, I in 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 one corner of my mind, I'm thinking this is a really bad idea. What the fuck are you doing? But here I am doing this thing. Oh, I'm gonna hide my sword. No, I'm gonna show my sword. You know, it's 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 a weird <laughs> right, yeah. thing that's happening here. Yeah, and the white cloaks look at him like, "You think that's funny?" And he's like, "Fuck you." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, he he makes matters worse by antagonizing. Right? Them. Yeah, he's, he's he mounts off to them, uh, and the, I kind of like the line one of the guys had like, "Oh, are you so dangerous, youngling?" Yeah, uh, and Rand's like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm dangerous. What are you gonna do about it?" Right? Yeah, and, and it looks like there's gonna be some real trouble when the uh, the city watch shows up. The city watch of Barillon. Another fortunate coincidence. <laughs> yes, another fortunate coincidence. Because otherwise, Rand, the story might have ended right there with Rand dead. <laughs> <laughs> right. Burned by a bunch of white cloaks. So, yeah, you know. and uh, yeah, so the city watch shows up and they're like, "No trouble here, right?" And the white cloaks 
kind of back down. Yeah. You know, like, uh, I guess we can't, you know, kill this guy because the city watch is here. And they head off, and the town watch heads off. Uh, but, of course, they make a note that the, the white cloaks can walk right through the crowd because everybody gets out of their way, but the town watch has to, like, elbow their way through. No one gets out of their way. <laughs> That's true. So they're much more worried about three white cloaks than they are about ten town guardsmen. So at that right. point... They meet up with Tom? Yeah, then Matt comes Again, back. by coincidence, they're walking through and they... Yeah. Oh, they run into, they're lost. Yeah. And they're like, oh, but wait... What well, at least Tom is, like, being super obvious. Yeah. But at this point, <laughs> the, the fever breaks on Rand. And he's like, what the heck did I just do? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just almost died. Coming down? <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, right? And, uh, and Matt's like, that was crazy. Like, what I did was totally normal. That's what everybody does. But what you did was crazy. You know, now that I'm thinking about it... On my initial read of this, I was thinking, what the fuck is wrong with Matt? But maybe Matt's in a similar... Maybe something ha- is happening with Matt, too. So maybe this whole thing, like, shooting a sling and splashing mud on the white cloaks is like... We're we're seeing the inside of Rand, but we're not seeing the inside of Matt, if that makes sense. It's true. So yeah. maybe Matt's also under the influence Although of something weird. It completely fits with his behavior before. Yeah, it's it not does. an out-of-character trip at all. Where, you know, Rand's behavior is, but yeah, yeah it's not unbelievable for Matt. Yeah. So Rand's feeling better, but they're still freaked out about the dream, you know. That problem we had before I started shit with the White Cloaks. Right. Uh, and they find Tom. Tom's being very obvious, so they you know, he's like walking through in just a really obvious manner and, <laughs> and showing off how he's a gleeman with his... Uh, with his uh, he's drumming up customers, cloak. basically. Yeah, his motley cloak. Uh, and they, start, they talk to Tom, and, and they give him the lowdown on their dream, and Tom recognizes those names because mm-hmm. he's, you know, a storyteller, a historian. And he says, those are all false dragons. Yep. Uh, and this is a big problem. Like, because what the Ace of Day did to them, I mean, I don't know about controlling them, but the Ace of Day tracked them down and killed them, basically. Right. Uh, and so that's, that's the, you don't want to say any of those names. You don't want to be associated with any of those people. That's pretty bad. We need to go back to the end. Uh, and, and then so, Tom also tells them, don't tell... <laughs> Tell, don't tell Moraine about your dreams. Yeah. Which is really annoying to me. Like, this is this is a super common plot device. Mm. So I'm not surprised it's here. But this always irritates the crap out of me. It's like, so much trouble could be avoided if you just had the really obvious conversation with with Moraine. You know? Yeah. And I get it. That would that would probably eliminate some story. Whatever. But still, <laughs> like, this is... I. It's hard for me to buy that... Even with all of the, they know that Rand wouldn't think it'd be a good idea to bring this up to Moraine. Yeah, I think, I see what he's going for now. What Robert Jordan is going for is that they don't trust Moraine, and that what Tom is telling them is that you can't trust Aes Sedai. Yeah. Like, even though telling Moraine, I mean, Moraine, to us, the reader, she reads as a pretty, pretty good, a good person, right? A good guy character. Right. She seems trustworthy. She seems like. You know, she's not on the side of, of the dark. If not trustworthy, she's at least opposed to the dark one. Yeah, yeah. but she is very, very focused on yeah. her goal. And I, I would say that we, we, the reader, we like her at this point because she's really competent. She's in charge. She gets things done. She's got this air of mystery about her. We like Lan because his horse is named Blade. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's Mandarb, excuse me. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, you know, w- given... No other indication of her motivation. I think that we're we're naturally inclined to like Moraine, mm-hmm. uh, and so Robert Jordan didn't really sell us that much on on why Rand and Matt and Perrin don't trust Moraine. Yeah, I think it, that's a good point. I think that I think that it could make sense, but I I, I think that yeah, I, I'm not sold on the idea that Rand should be that mistrustful of Moraine at this point, given what he even with his the the mythology he's grown up with. 
he knows her well enough to see what she's done and what she's doing. And, you know, I, to me, the, the consequences of not bringing up this dream that where a bunch of rats were killed and then killed in the end. I mean, like, this is a big deal. This yeah. is something that could, like, be the end of him. And yet still, he's like, eh, maybe I'll it's, wait. And it's totally. true, yeah. I, I really think this is another manifestation of Robert Jordan's sexism, which becomes really? more and more apparent as we go along. Well, he, he trusts Tom enough to tell Tom everything. Uh, he trusts Why Pat does he trust Fane. Tom? <laughs> he trust he tr- yeah, he trusts Pat and He Fane. told Pat and Fane that <laughs> Yeah. The only true reason he doesn't trust Rand is because he knows that to tell Lan, excuse me, is because to tell Lan is to essentially tell Moraine. But, mm-hmm. you know, here's this woman. She's really sneaky. Can't trust mm-hmm. her. Yeah. 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 It's hard to argue. I, it, it's yeah. it's hard to say whether it's sexism, but it definitely has a has a flavor to it. it it's, uh, you know, the Aes Sedai are clearly represented as, as, some, as, mis, as manipulative and kind of conniving and, if not evil, you know, having their own, their own ways that no one can understand, mm-hmm. which sounds an awful lot like a way, the way a sexist person might describe women, you know? Yes, exactly. And, and Aes Sedai are all women. Powerful I mean, women at that. Powerful women, right. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, even if it's not overt, it's definitely there, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, Tom tells them, yeah, don't tell Moraine. Great idea, kids. Yeah. Uh, and they head back to the inn and before they can, they hook up with Perrin and before they can really conclude anything about the dreams, Perrin tells them, well, Nynaeve just showed up. Dun, dun, dun. Nynaeve. Crap. Well, Nynaeve just showed up. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. End of chapter. Yeah. Right. But, but we do find out how she got there, which is that she went into the, went to the Hightower's house, like bullied him into getting a boat and carrying her and her horse across the river, <laughs> despite the fact he didn't want to. That's like serious bullying. I know. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of messed up. <laughs> this guy who's just had his ferry destroyed. She's like, well, you're still carrying me across the river. Right. You better fucking figure yeah, it out. Moraine paid him, but, but like Nynaeve just, just bullied him. I guess I so. Think so. Like she's a, that's world-class bullying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't even have time to get all of his haulers. He got one hauler to man another set of oars, is what it says. So it's him and this other hauler. It's, just, it's kind of, yeah. Yes. And but now Nynaeve appears. Yes. And now she's back. And she caught up with them. Within a day. She was only a day behind them. Uh, so I guess she had a horse. I guess she was moving really fast. And not sleeping much. Yeah. yeah. Although they were travel, they were like avoiding... Like spending time going around. That's a good That's point. True, yeah. Settlements. Now that I think about it, that is a good point. So if she took the direct road path. It might actually uh, gain her some time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the the Dragon Reread. Uh, that was chapters eleven through fifteen of the Wheel of Time, uh, book one, the Eye of the World. Uh, right. Next time we're going to be talking about chapters sixteen through twenty. Yeah. And if you have any uh, comments or, or questions or feedback, you can contact us at. Hello at thedragonreread.com. I am Jeff Lake. It's at Jeff underscore Lake on Twitter. Alice Sullivan. And Micah Sparkman. The light light illumine you. you.